Hello and welcome back. It's been Yamna Rose and myself, Gedalia Gutenteig, who is in Mishpachah's homefront, a wide-angle view of Israel's biggest conflict in a generation. Hello and Yamin. Hello, Gedalia. We have a lot on our plate today, especially with the increased pressure from the Biden administration on Israel and the Netanyahu government to agree to a Palestinian state, which is just, to me, so remote from where we're standing on the war front that it's totally out of proportion. But it doesn't seem to be affecting the U.S. decision-making process. They're, they're piling on the pressure. It started Friday with a call from President Biden to Prime Minister Netanyahu, which lasted, from what I understand, about 40 minutes. And there's mixed reports on what Netanyahu didn't agree to and what he agreed to. Some say he agreed not to rule out an eventual demilitarized Palestinian state, which is crazy because how do you demilitarize them? considering how many weapons they have. Take a look at what happened in Gaza. Take a look at all the tunnels. Take a look at all the weapons that we've discovered and confiscated. Who knows how much of that is in the West Bank also. And we're going to demilitarize them? It's crazy. The last time something like this came up on the international scene was in Northern Ireland in the 1980s, I believe, or 90s, when they disarmed the IRA. And it took over a dozen years, if I remember correctly, maybe 14 years until they verifiably got rid of all of their weapons. And it was done by international committees who were really impartial. And that's the last time and the only time that I ever remember a militant organization being disarmed, but also because they voluntarily wanted to do so. They thought that, okay, it's time for us to drop the fight against England. And they decided to come out of their hiding places with their arms in the air, literally, not only the weaponry, but their arms to surrender. And it worked. That type of thing is not going to happen here in the Middle East, not with the Palestinian Authority, not with Hamas. So the idea of a demilitarized Palestinian state, to me, is dead on arrival to begin with. It's interesting, the parallel to Northern Ireland, because this is always held up by both British politicians and even friendly ones like Tony Blair, who was the one who oversaw that peace process with the Northern Ireland. And also Democrats, because it was Bill Clinton who did so on the American side. And it's always kind of held over Israel's head. If you were the only be as civilized as us, you could get somewhere. That's basically the implication. And it couldn't be more wrong in the sense that the parallel was there'd been a century of bloodletting between these two sides. It was only when both sides decided that it didn't work for them anymore and that it was just not, it's not worth it anymore. Literally both sides. And I'm talking about both sides on the ground, not their superpower patrons, not the backers of the Irish nationalists. I'm not the British backers of the Northern Irish Unionists. Both sides had to decide they had to coexist, however, uneasily. And so the parallel has never stacked up because while Israel wants to coexist, the other side simply doesn't. It wants to murder Jews and slit their throats, right? That's what they want to do. But it's part of this whole international pressure on Israel, which is now rolled back in a way that I think is frightening to see because what we're now seeing is the Biden administration has clearly, plainly decided it spots electoral goal in bashing Israel, meaning that they can read the polls. The White House is seeing that they're in big, big trouble behind Trump. Trump is basically confirmed as the Republican candidate by this point. Just about, yes. And they see the polls. They know that Trump is ahead in swing states, blah, blah, blah. And so they say, well, we need a plan. We need something big. And we saw yesterday on Axios, the Washington website, basically there was unnamed White House administration officials saying that we see that if we can come what they call the moonshot. We can come on a moonshot to come to the election with having finally cracked Middle East peace, then we can perhaps go win. 
And how damaging is that? We've talked about this, this kind of a messianism, the kind of every administration is convinced that they, and only they finally have the recipe for bringing Middle East peace. And yet again, what does it always boil down to? Israel has to give up. The Palestinians don't at all. And so this is going to be dangerous because the European foreign minister, the highest official in the European Foreign Service, saying that we have to actually coerce Israel into a two-state solution. Two-state solution is back. It really, really is on the table with all that this means. Gedalia, unfortunately, Israel can be its own worst enemy when it comes to this issue. And we've seen that come to the fore once again. The so-called unity government is showing even more cracks. The latest was Gadi Eisenkot, who was a former IDF chief of staff, who is now part of the war cabinet. And he came out at the end of last week and he said, Feyrush, as we say in Israel, he came out and said outright that anyone who thinks that we can defeat Hamas militarily is incorrect. Anyone who thinks that putting military pressure on Hamas will be what gets the hostages released is incorrect. And without saying that Netanyahu is all wrong, he said Netanyahu was all wrong and he offered himself up as an alternative. And immediately the left-wing Israeli media dutifully commissioned a poll to show that if Gadi Eisenkot, not Benny Gantz, would lead the so-called Mamlach Tea Party if there were a new election, then Eisenkot at the head of the ticket, would actually win two more seats than Gantz would. So, you know, this is all part of a agenda. It's all part of a whole big production that we've seen over the years. And we're hurting ourselves because immediately Tony Blinken jumps on that and calls Netanyahu and says, you know, maybe there is no military victory over Hamas. And then Biden gets on the phone and says, you know, Bibi, we need a Palestinian state because without that, you'll never have security. So Unfortunately, it all starts with us and it all starts with the Achdus that we've heard so much about that's starting to fall apart. I don't think among the citizenry, but definitely among the politicians. Everybody's jockeying for position now. Everyone's smelling blood and mainly Netanyahu's blood. There's a lot of people out there who would rather defeat Netanyahu than defeat Hamas. And we're unfortunately in the process of doing ourselves in and doing, or at least doing ourselves great harm. I think, though, that it all begins and ends with the progress on the battlefield. It's facts on the ground that really dictate events. And as we've noted here last week, we have a picture, at least, of the IDF being static. And so let's get some details on that, because while you hear this headline that the IDF is no longer moving in Gaza and it's kind of pinpoint raids, what does this actually mean? So we know that at the beginning of the war, and this was in the earlier days when really at the beginning of the grand campaign, the first thing was the IDF was entering from the north gingerly heading into those first suburbs of northern Gaza Strip. And it was incredibly, think about it, all those soldiers who hadn't been tested in battle, they were testing new techniques. It was extremely kind of like gingerly inching into those northern suburbs. Whilst that was happening, there was a movement a few days later to cut the Gaza Strip, cut into two, and that took place at the Nitzarim Junction. Used to be there was Nitzarim Yishuv there in between north and south Gaza. And there was this route. So again, we talked about this at the time. We talked about north-south Gaza has got two main routes. There's the continuation of what Israel has, the Kvish HaChof, right? The route, Binyamin is at route two, I think, Kvish Time, which is the Kvish HaChof. And because the Gaza Strip is contiguous with Israel, I mean, it's just part of the coastline. So they have their own version. This road literally continues down from north to south. And along that route, Binyamin, which is held by the IDF, that is the main north-south route in which Gazans who try to return from the south to the north, if they're allowed to go, they're allowed to go on that route. That's by a report by Ynet, which is interesting. The other route north-south is parallel to the Israeli-Gaza border, which is 
Salakadin route. Now that is close to most gardens. If anyone's allowed along there is ambulances, right? Dissecting both of them in North and South Gaza, that is the Nitzarim road, which heads from Israel and the Kibbutzim there over to the seas by eight, nine miles. And that is today held by Israel and patrolled. Now the picture that the report was painting was that the IDF has intentionally not heavily fortified these bases at once, that the troops there should patrol in a free fashion so that they're out there, that they're not sheltering and cowering in strong points. But naturally, these points, these troops are coming under attack. So we have the Yomana picture. We know that there's about 150,000 Gazans left north of that bisection in the northern Gaza Strip. We've also heard reports that they're regrouping, that Hamas security forces are starting to regroup in the northern areas where uh, the IDF has either withdrawn from or thinned out their forces. And so that's a dangerous development if that's an accurate report. Yeah, so according to the Ynet thing, it says yes, because essentially they've got pockets of, throughout the north, they've got pockets of troops and they're holding the route. But who is the sovereign inside there? It's still the Samas in the shape of their gunmen who are there. And whilst they open up the markets, I think Jabalia, etc., the market is open up there. There is a Hamas there. So again, this points us to what we've discussed. Until you destroy Hamas and topple them as the sovereign, they will fill the vacuum. There are the overlords over there. And what's happening in the south is that there's approximately almost 2 million Palestinians, many of them who fled from the homes in the north. Many of them, crucially, are concentrated around Rafiah, which is right on the southern border with Egypt. And that, Benjamin, is what is causing anguish. Because we've talked about the importance of closing the Philadelphia route, which is the Israel-Gaza-Egypt border over there, of to smugglers. But they cannot do the massive amounts of massive warfare that's necessary to do that until they shift a million refugees. And Egypt does not want that to do. As you said before, Benjamin, Egypt wants to maintain pressure on Israel and is happy to see Israel in Soros. It's not looking to do any help in any way for them to close that smuggling route whatsoever. I would cite from the Wall Street Journal today, Eugene Kantorovich, who is a well-known international law expert, wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, which was published today, that he, he talked about how Egypt has sealed its border despite its obligations under international refugee law. He wrote that Hamas also forcibly prevents people from leaving. And uh, the point that he makes is that Egypt, being the second largest regular recipient of U.S. foreign aid, so America has tremendous leverage over Egypt, and they're putting absolutely no pressure on Egypt. Eugene wrote that the Egyptian foreign minister has justified his country's refusal to admit refugees by saying it would harm the Palestinian cause. So we see once again that they're not interested in the refugees, they're not interested in international law, even though they claim to. And the only thing that they're interested in is the real interest of keeping the Palestinians as a thorn in Israel's side so that it'll be a perennial problem. And they call that a peace process. Something's got to change. And Israel has to, we have to push this. Everyone's telling us that we need to allow humanitarian aid. So Egypt also has to be humanitarian as well. And you're right, Natalia, that if this pressure valve was taken off of Israel, then Israel could also start operating better in the Khan Yunus area. Because as of right now, we're operating in the north and the south of Khan Yunus, but not in the west, which is closest to the seacoast. And those are really the biggest Hamas strongholds. So look, nobody ever said this was going to be easy or quick. But if there's going to be continued pressure on us to, quote unquote, wrap things up by the end of January to facilitate Biden's reelection campaign or for any other domestic reasons, we're going to have ended up battling for four months in a battle that probably should have taken a year or more. 
and we won't have achieved even a third of our goals. Now, it's premature to say that. I don't want to sound pessimistic, but that's the way it could end up. And only firm and decisive action by the Israeli government and firm and decisive leadership can prevent this from deteriorating. I just want to wrap this up with something just to flesh out what you're saying over here. Really, the take it to anyone who's following the New York Times will know that the last few years, Tom Friedman, the veteran, Dale Zoga over there, who's basically, he's mind melded with Biden or the mouthpiece of the Biden administration. I call him the New York Times unofficial cheerleader for the Palestinian state. Yeah, that's effective. And he's the unofficial or semi-official conduit. I think it was Jeffrey Goldberger at the Atlantic who had that position for the Obama administration. And I think it's fair to say Tom Friedman does so, fills that position in for Biden. And basically he had this, one of these horrific, I find these pieces, there's not many pieces that actually make my stomach turn and feel nauseating, but it does because he's a side of a Jew who is just basically so intent on sin. He knows better than all the, the millions of Jews in Israel was best for the Jewish people. And he's busy there selling out his people in so many ways. I find it nauseating his interventions in Israel. But anyway, yeah, he, he spent a lot of time in his youth on one of the Hashomer Tahir left-wing kibbutzim in Israel. So uh, that's where he got a lot of his information and his hashkafa from, if you will. Correct. It lines up. And he had a piece this week in which he was basically accusing Israel. He said, Bibi is playing politics and will try to get re-election over this and over the whole opposition to a Palestinian state. And therefore, we're going to see Trump and Bibi lining up and the Likud lining up and all that stuff. And my answer to that is then when we quote the Axios report in which this is going to be the centerpiece of a White House push to retain the White House, Israel, not just Bibi, but Israel in general, is being pushed into an adversarial role against the administration. It's the Americans, the White House is playing politics. That's number one. Number two is that the question, as we've said, it's facts on the ground that are going to define this Benjamin. And the question is, what is actually happening there in Gaza? Because we know that everything most has ground to a halt. We've spoken about the dangers of that. We've spoken about turning into a Vietnam-style quagmire, et cetera, et cetera. But last night, last night, the facts were that the all through the night, for the first time in a week, the Gaza sky from north to south was lit up with massive airstrikes around Khan Yunus and around and right up the center of the Strip. And so the Ynet report concludes that the White House have made clear that they will expect to see, or we will see, IDF offensive action in the San Yunus being racked up, and that the IDF is going to have these pinpoint raids. That's what they're expecting to say. And yet, to have the defense minister said yesterday that the activities in the San Yunus are going to be widened, and we're going to be seeing what is called mushroom clouds released by air explosions dominating the Gaza skyline until we achieve our results. So Benyama, for me, that's the real open question here. Is this going to be Israel giving into the White House's version to aid their campaign? Or are we going to see this government show the backbone that Gallant is saying is going to do and continue the fight, even at a lower level? Benyama, I think really that's the open question for the week ahead in which time will tell. I wish you and uh, listeners everywhere a good and healthy week. <laughs>